name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Two octogenarians were driving down the road. If you don't know what an octogenarian is, that's somebody over 80. But these happen to be two ladies, and they were driving. And, you know, as you get a little bit older, you tend to shrink. Uh, Isn't that right, everybody? Everybody that's old here knows that. You tend to shrink. And so these ladies were in a big car, and they were having a hard time seeing over the dash. You know, as I thought about this little... This little anecdote here at the beginning, I thought of Gene and of Jenny when they drive, right? Uh, both octogenarians. And anyway, the, they were having a hard time seeing over the, the, the dashboard. And one, the, the, passenger on the, the lady on the passenger side, she thought, wow, we just went through a red light. But she said, I must be, I must be confused. And uh, went a little bit further, and, and man, they blew through another one. And she goes, man, I must be losing it. We went through a second red light. Just a short time later, they went through a third one without even stopping. And she said, Mildred, did you know we just went through three red lights? You're going to get us killed. Mildred looked at her and said, oh, am I driving? <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes we're like Mildred. We're going through life unaware that in our hands are the wheel of a, of a very important assignment. All of us have been entrusted, listen carefully, because this is kind of the theme of this morning. All of us have been entrusted with this task of helping people who are far from God find their way to Him. All of us have been entrusted with this task of helping people get to know Jesus. I don't know if you've ever played chess or not. Uh, I've played it some when I was younger especially, but there's two kinds of chess players. One chess player is, uh, is one who plays with strategy. They're thinking about every move and they're thinking about how every move affects the next move. And then they're even thinking about how that move affects the next move. They're, they're playing with strategy. And then there's a player who just knows wherever piece moves and they just move it and they don't really have any strategy at all. Let me ask you a question. Who's going to win the chess game? Is it going to be the one with the strategy or the one without the strategy? Well, the truth is, it's obvious, isn't it, that the one who's playing with strategy is going to win. That doesn't mean that the guy who's just moving pieces like I do, he doesn't get a good move every once in a while, you know, but, uh, but the person who's going to win is the person who plays with strategy. Now, I want to ask you this question, and kind of just stemming from that one, you know, did Jesus approach his mission with strategy or was it just moving the pieces hilly-willy just the way he you know, felt at the moment? I'm going to answer my own question. I believe that Jesus was very intentional and I believe that Jesus did his mission with strategy. I suggest that every morning when the Bible says that Jesus got up before everyone else did while it was still dark and went outside to meet with God, he was doing, he was implementing his strategy, which was that every day I'm going to get my marching orders, my instructions from the Father. Furthermore, I'd suggest that everything Jesus did had some overlying strategy. For instance, Jesus chose 12 men to walk with him every day for three years. That's strategy. That's Jesus' strategy of, of furthering his mission. He took 12 men, poured his life into them with the objective that they in turn would then take the mission on forward from there. 
I would suggest that when he had his men together there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he said, hey, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to start here in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the world, that he's giving them a strategy. Start right here at home where you are and then spread out from there and from there even further. And ultimately, I want you to go to the ends of the world. That was strategy. Now, listen, it's not a complicated strategy. I'm not implying that strategy has to be complicated. What I am saying, however, is that strategy matters. I don't know this morning if it troubles you or not, but it does trouble me that it seems like the only people we're successful at reaching as a church family are our children, that we are not having great success as the people of God who gather here at, uh, at, we call ourselves the Bacon's Castle family. It troubles me that we are not seeing people far from God come to begin to follow Jesus. That, that really the people that we're reaching, and, and I'm not, you know I'm, you know, I'm excited about this, but I'm not as excited as it could be. We're not even doing all that great of a job of reaching our children, Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern Seminary, and, and he recently, or I don't know if it was recently, but he once said that the only people Southern Baptists are reaching are their children. Obviously, that's, that's a broad statement, but you understand what he's saying. The only people we're really reaching as Southern Baptists are our children. Some of you might be thinking, so let me just cut you off at the pass. You might be thinking, well, that's not our job. It's not my job to save anybody. You know, that's God's job. My job is just to tell people about Jesus. And, and I would agree with that, that ultimately God always does the saving, you know. But I also agree with Jerry Falwell, who once said this, all I know is that the more people I tell about Jesus, the more people God chooses uh, to save. In other words, the more people that hear the gospel respond to it. In, cha- in Romans chapter 1, in, in, in the great book that Paul wrote, or the, I guess the deepest theological treatise that he wrote, he starts off the book and he says this, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God unto salvation. So the truth is, the more that we share the good news of Jesus, the more people are going to respond and the more people are going to begin to follow Jesus. So as the new year awakens, I want to see you, Billy, and you, Rodney, and me, and you, George, and you, Kelly, and you, Nancy. I want to see us as a church be a part in this coming year of seeing a lot of people who are far from God come to follow God, come to know God, begin to uh, trust in Jesus and make him their savior and the one they follow. So what I want to do this morning is I want to offer you some strategic decisions to make. I want to offer you a strategy. It's nothing involved. It's not a complicated strategy. I just want to give you a strategy this morning to help you and me be involved in 2020 and seeing people come to Jesus. It's just that simple. I want to offer you this this strategy that I feel like the Lord... I mean, I just sat down and, you know how songwriters talk about how they sit down and, they just, and the song just comes to them? Well, that's kind of how this, this talk came to me. I just sat down and just wrote it out. And, and, and so, I mean, I'm not so naive as to, to say anything super special about this. I just want to tell you, I feel like I got to say something to you this morning that I feel like God's put on my heart. And I'm hoping this is going to be a strategy to just encourage you this year, all right? 
So here's my seven strategic decisions that I'd like you to make this morning as we leave this place, all right? Before we leave this place. Here's the first one. Believe that it matters. Believe that what I'm asking you to do matters. Realize, accept, trust that people following Jesus makes a huge difference for good. Now, what I'm not saying this morning is I want you to try to believe something in order to make it true. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I want you to believe in the deepest recesses of your heart. I want you to believe that people coming to Jesus it will impact them exponentially and will be so transformative, not just in their own life, but it's going to be transformative in their families and it's going to be transformative beyond that. I want you to believe that because the truth is you're not going to do anything to bring it about unless you truly, truly, truly believe it in your heart. And I want to tell you three things that will happen if a person begins to follow Jesus. And this is why we should believe it matters. Here's the first one. It'll make a person a better person. Following Jesus makes us better people. Andy Stanley, I heard him say this this week, and it is one of those things that just riveted itself to my heart. And this is what Andy said. He said, following Jesus will make your life better, and it will make you better at living life. I'm going to read it again, okay, because I don't think I put it on the screen. Following Jesus will make your life better, and it will make you better at living life. Life. Now, I'm not saying that following Jesus is going to make your life easier. It doesn't make your life easier necessarily, Rodney, does it? Didn't make my life easier, you know. Ask the 11 families on Christmas Day when their husbands were slaughtered by uh, Boko Haram there in Nigeria. Ask them if following Jesus makes their life easier. Doesn't make your life necessarily easier, but I stand by what Andy said. I believe he's absolutely right that following Jesus will make your life better. And the reason why it's going to make your life better is because Jesus is always going to be involved in it with you. Jesus is always going to be with you. He's always going to walk with you. He's never going to leave you. And he's going to give you, it makes your life better because he gives you the grace to endure whatever happens in your life. You know, he's enough, just like the song we sang. He's enough because he's always going to be there and he makes your life better. But he also makes you better at living life. And what I mean by that is he makes you more like Jesus. And so when he makes you more like Jesus, he makes you a kinder person. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Following Jesus makes you kinder. I don't mean overnight you, you go from being a heel to being a wonderful person, but I tell you, over time, Jesus won't leave you as a heel. He's going to make you a kinder and gentler and a humbler and a more loving person. He's going to make you somebody who can forgive others really easily. In fact, he's, he's going to take you to the point where you really don't get offended by anybody else. Because he just kind of changes you. He transforms you. So believe that this matters. What I'm, what, I, what I'm asking you to do in 2020, what God is asking you to do in, in 2020 really matters because it changes people. But here's another thing it does. It changes your society around you. The more people who follow Jesus, the more society as, is transformed. And so the more of us that talk about Jesus and lead people to follow Jesus and the more of us that are following Jesus, it, it makes us as a society and as a culture love others, prefer others, die to self, consider others as more important than ourselves. Can I tell you as a microcosm of how culture is supposed to be, that's who we're supposed to be as a family? 
As a church family, we should be all of that. We should be people who love one another. We should be people who prefer each other, who die to self for one another, who consider each other in this family more important than we do ourselves. That's who each one of us should, that's what we should be as a microcosm of the greater culture. And, and what I'm telling you is that as we lead people to follow Jesus and they are transformed, we transform culture. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to make this point. I found this synopsis of Alan, Alvin Schmidt's book, How Christianity Changed the World. Let me, re- let me just read you. This is the synopsis of Alvin's book, all right? So here's what it says. This, th- this impact of Christianity can be seen in many places, but none more evident than in the value we put on human life. Our modern-day value of human life was rooted in the teachings of Christ and the actions of early Christians in rescuing newborn babies abandoned on the trash heaps of Rome. Whether through infanticide or gladiatorial games, glorification of suicide or human sacrifice, there was an almost global attitude that human life was cheap before Jesus. The most beneficial institutions of our society find their roots in the influence of Jesus Christ. Early Christians founded first, the first hospitals and orphanages and feeding programs, combating the pervading view that the, of the time that it would be better to just let the sick, the poor, and the orphans die. Monastic, monastic libraries provided the inspiration for the first universities. Did you know that? In the 12th and the 13th century, Christianity was at the root of, of higher education or of education in period. Even governmental institutions and our concepts of liberty, justice, and equality are rooted in the law of God and biblical patterns. The list goes on and on as Schmidt shows the impact of Christianity on labor and economics and freedom and science and art and architecture and literature and music and holidays and words and symbols and expressions. Following Jesus doesn't just change me. When it changes me and it changes you, it changes culture all around us. It'll make Surrey a better place if you're willing to talk to other people about Jesus. It'll change Surrey. If you live in Smithfield, I want to tell you, as you lead people to Jesus, it'll change, it'll change Smithfield. I'm not against politics. I'm not against laws. We need that stuff. But the way to change the world is by making disciples of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And that's how we transform the culture around us. And can I say the opposite is just as true. You remove Jesus from the culture and the culture will digress. It'll change. We see it lived out in Syria as ISIS has expunged the nation of believers in Jesus and plunged that society into hatred and ruin. Number three, here's the third thing that it does when you follow Jesus. And this is why it matters. This is why I want you to believe that it matters. It matters because it's your only way to survive death. It's the only way that you're going to survive death. The Bible says Jesus died for us and that God is going to restore our life in the resurrection. Paul tells the Corinthian believers, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's it, you're done. You die and you're not alive. That's what Paul seems to be implying. But, but, but following Jesus matters because Paul says God will resurrect us from the dead. Here's the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up. And I'm reading from the message because it was inspiring. Will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. And at the same moment, in the same way, we'll all be changed. If we happen to be here when Jesus comes, we'll be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the 
immortal. And then the saying will come true, death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word? Oh, death, oh, death, who's afraid of you now? And then there's Jesus' own words to Martha. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said, you know, I know he'll rise again. It will happen when people are raised from the dead on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me will live even if they die. And, uh, and, anyone, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of, the, the Son of God. I believe that you are the one who is supposed to come into the world. In other words, Jesus says himself that I'm the reason why one day you're going to rise from the dead. So here's why. Here's why we need to believe that this matters. Because it's the only way, it's the only way to have life with our loved ones and our friends. And, 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 uh, and not just our, life, our, our loved ones and our friends, but just anyone. It's the only way that they can survive death is Jesus raises them back to life. And so this is why it matters. And so the first point of this strategy is, can you believe that? Can you really, really, truly believe that and know that it makes a difference of immense good? Here's my second strategic decision I'd like you to make. Take personal responsibility to help others learn about God. I think one of the main reasons why we don't try to help people know about Jesus is that we simply don't own the obligation to do so. We, we, you know, when it comes to the wheel of the car, we don't see ourselves as driving the car uh, of this decision, I mean, of this responsibility to help people come to know Jesus. We don't see ourselves behind the wheel. We see the pastor behind the wheel. Or we see the extrovert behind the wheel. Or we see the, for whatever reason, the evangelist behind the wheel. We see somebody else behind the wheel. What I'm trying to say to you today is that you need to get behind the wheel and you need to own responsibility to be driving the mission of helping people come to know the Lord. I say that because Jesus said to his disciples, you're to be my witnesses. And I guess we could argue that, no, it's just them. Just those 12 are to be the witnesses. But that's not what Jesus was saying. We all know it. I was a uh, I listened to Joe Olson's message. Joe, Joe's the pastor at Claremont Church, and, and, and I listened to his, his talks on Sunday. And not too long ago, he was telling, uh, well, actually, he, had, he didn't tell him. He had Joe Ferguson come in to be uh, to their service on Sunday morning. Joe Ferguson uh, has since retired, but he was one of the uh, food inspectors in Smithfield. And Joe, Joe's a believer, and he was a part of the church there at Mill Swamp, and, and Joe became his Sunday school teacher. And Joe, in his Sunday school class every Sunday, when he was teaching Sunday school, the first thing he would say is, does anyone have a story about how they talked to someone about Jesus this week? Anybody have a story about how they were able to share Jesus with somebody? And, and, and Joe Ferguson, this is his own testimony, this is what he said, week after week after week after week, no one said anything. And then Joe would say, well, let me tell you about a story. Let me tell you about what happened to me this week. And he would tell a story about how he talked to someone about Jesus. And Joe Ferguson sat there one day and he said, you know what? I can do that. I can do that. And he goes on to tell about, he's in a carpool with these guys. I won't tell the story, but it's his first time. And he talks to the guys in his carpool about Jesus. And they're actually receptive to him talking to them. And so that Sunday when Joe said, Joe Olson said, anybody got a story? Joe Ferguson raised his hand and said, I've got a story. And Joe Ferguson went on to say how that changed his life. 
because he went from recognizing he had to take the wheel of responsibility to tell others about Jesus. Listen, here's the strategic decision I'm asking you to make. Recognize this morning that it is, it is your responsibility. You have to own it. You're behind the wheel. Don't be like Mildred. Oh, am I driving? No, you're driving. You might be running through all the red lights and not doing what you're supposed to do, but you're, but you're behind the wheel. You know, in, in, Timothy's, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he said, hey, I, I want you to find faithful men who will in turn take what you're teaching them and they'll pass it on to other faithful men. Here's what I want you to note. Paul doesn't say, find a guy with a special calling. He doesn't say that. He says, just find a guy who'll be faithful. Find a guy. See, the issue isn't special calling everybody. The issue is faithfulness. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm calling you to this morning, to faithfulness. Put it on your radar. Own it. Number three, third, third strategic decision. Build bridges of kindness to the lives of others. Build bridges of love. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the character quality of love. I think I've told you this a half a dozen times, if not more. But I will always remember listening for the first time to John Maxwell's message. I don't remember the title. I don't even remember. I don't think I remember any of the other points, but I remember this one point. And John's point in that talk was, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that resonated so clearly and so compellingly with me. Nobody cares to know about my Jesus if, if they don't see the love of Jesus in me. They don't want to hear from me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I don't, remember, don't know if you read this one or not, Landon, but in, in I think the same chapter you were reading from. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here's the deal. God changes us so that we love. And so I want to challenge you to make a decision to build bridges of kindness and love to others. Now, I want to clarify something really, really quickly. I'm not asking you to build bridges for ulterior motives. I'm not asking you to build bridges just so you can talk to someone about Jesus. I'm just asking you to build bridges of love, period. And as you do that, those bridges of love, they're, they're going to give you opportunities, I believe, to walk across into the heart of somebody else. Now, even if they don't, what they do is, even if somebody doesn't let you walk across that bridge into their life, I mean, they're going to see the bridge that you're building and they're, they're going to be affected by that. I remember when Chris Lawrence began to follow Jesus and her husband Chuck, who's here right now, um, was, was, was pretty skeptical of us Christians. And I remember from the beginning, I wanted to build a bridge of kindness and love towards Chuck. And, I, and you can ask him afterwards whether I'm telling the truth. I think I am. But I'm happy to tell you that Chuck became my friend before he became my brother. He became my brother, but he became, he became my friend before he was my brother. What I'm, what I'm asking you guys to do is just, is just love people. Because in loving people, you're going to build bridges by which you can speak into other people's lives. And I'm not asking you to build them to do that. I'm asking you to build them because that's what God desires of you. If you want to know what I'm talking about, go back and watch The Grinch. I know we're after Christmas, but go back and watch The Grinch That Stole Christmas. I get to watch it every year. Thank you, Kent Pittman. I get to watch it every year. And what I want you to look for is I want you to watch Cindy Lou. 
I want you to watch, I'm being serious. You want, you want to see what I'm talking about? Watch Cindy Lou in The Grinch with the, the one with, uh, what's his name? Jim. Yeah, that guy, Jim Carrey, all right. But watch Cindy Lou, because all Cindy Lou wants to do is love The Grinch, and she doesn't really have any ulterior motives. She just wants to love The Grinch. And that's what I'm talking about. Number four, stop judging others. And this is the opposite of what I just said when I said build bridges. Stop putting up roadblocks that make it harder for people to come to Jesus because of your judgmental spirit or words or attitude. I've spoken a lot about this recently, and I guess I probably will always speak about this because it, it's, so, it's so hurtful to me to see it, but Jesus told us to always speak the truth. So we need to speak the truth, guys. In our culture that's changing and people are embracing all kinds of things, we, we need to speak what is true. But Jesus also said, when you do, make sure that what people sense from you is love. It's really, it's really not what we say, it's how we say it. So we need to say the hard things, but what needs to exude from my life is this loving kindness. So let's be honest, it's easy to speak condescendingly, isn't it? It's easy for us to speak with an edge of condemnation. It's easy for us to come across as if we're putting people down because they don't know what we know or they don't do what we do. God desires of us that we are somehow different and better than that, that we speak the truth like Jesus would have spoken it. And I know you can point to the Pharisees and how he spoke to them, but I'm talking about to average people far from God. Jesus always spoke with such loving kindness that people could sense it. And people need to sense it in you, and they need to sense it in me. They need to sense this, this attitude, this tone of love from us. Now, one of the places that I see it the most is, is, is in our social media, and especially related to political issues and sexual and gender issues. And, and I just got to tell us, listen, folks, either get off social media or don't post about those things, but we've got to change the way we are so that what comes across from us is truth, but always, always embedded with this, this way that people feel love from us. Now, this week, this past week, Ann and I went to see our grandkids up in Pennsylvania. So I got a six-hour drive both ways. And, uh, and so I listened to a lot of stuff, and we listened to a TED Talk and, uh, and this TED Talk was called 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. And uh, the lady who spoke, uh, she made a couple of statements here, let me just tell you. She said Pew Research did a study of 10,000 adults, and they have concluded that as a nation, we are more polarized than ever in history. We're more polarized now than we were during the uh, Civil War. We're more polarized now than we were during the Civil Rights uh, time era. And I don't know if that's true, but that's the statement she made. But it's obvious, isn't it, that we're all, we're very polarized as a nation. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link this talk in my email tomorrow. So if you want to listen to the whole thing, it's about 10 minutes long. Uh, I would encourage you to do so. But I, I do want to point out just two things she said, because they're germane to what the point I'm trying to make. And here are two things the speaker said. Here's the first one. I'm just going to read her. I'm going to quote to you. Here she says, if you want to state your opinion without any opportunity for response or argument or pushback or growth, write a blog. 
Now, there's a really good reason why, she's talking now, there's a really good reason why I don't allow pundits on my show, because they're really boring. If they're conservative, they're going to hate Obama and food stamps and abortion. If they're liberal, they're going to hate big banks and oil corporations and Dick Cheney. Obviously, this is dated. They would have said Trump there. Totally predictable, and you don't want to be like that. You need to enter every conversation assuming that you have something to learn. Bill Nye, the science guy, says, everyone you will ever meet knows something that you don't. Now, here's my point. Don't forget my point. My point is, how can we reach people far from God? And I'm asking us to stop being judgmental. I'm asking for us to have an attitude that doesn't push people away, but that invites people in. And, and I think the way that we have to do this, this is what she's trying to say is, I just don't have to be on my talking points all the time. I need to listen. I need to assume that though I don't agree with you, there is something I can learn from you. And so therefore, I'm, I'm going to listen to you. Cory Booker made a statement. In essence, this is what he was saying. He was saying, don't just talk to me about your faith issues. Show me by the way you treat people. Show me by the way you speak with people. Show me by your actions, that there's validity to your faith. I thought it was a great quote. That was a great quote. And it's the point I'm trying to make here. And this is the point she was making in having a good conversation, that if you're not willing to listen, if you don't want to learn, then just write a blog. Write something where you don't have interaction with people. But if we're going to reach people, we've got to interact with people. And that means that means listening. And that brings me to the, to the ninth point that she made. The second one that I want you to hear from me this morning was, she said, and I quote her, this is not the last one, but it is the most important one. Listen. I cannot tell you how many really important people have said that listening is perhaps the most, the number one most important skill that you could develop. Why do we not listen to each other? Number one, we'd rather talk. When I'm talking, I'm in control. I don't have to hear anything I'm not interested in. I'm the, I'm the center of attention. I can bolster my own identity. Stephen Covey says, said it beautifully. He said, most of us don't listen with the intent to understand. We listen with the intent to reply. Again, I, I know those two points are almost the same, but that's, I guess that's the reason why I'm saying them. You know, if we're going to reach people far from God, I, I've got to be open to listening to them and not judging them up front, hearing their story so that I'm building a bridge of love into their life. Number five, start inviting people to church with you. I'm gonna speed this up. Uh, I've resisted this for years because I, I, I don't, I feel like, I felt like it was a cop-out. I felt like it was a cop-out because the Bible doesn't say invite them to your meeting. The Bible says you go out and you go to the shipyard, David, and you rub shoulders with unbelievers and you tell them about Jesus. That's what it says, right? And that's, what, that's, that's the, the main thrust of the New Testament. We're to go out into, into our communities and where we have relationships with people and, and you're to be the, so I've resisted this. But you know what? I've, I've thought about it a lot and I think I'm wrong. I think it's not a either or. I think it's a both and. We go out, but it's okay for us to invite people here. In fact, it's probably a really good thing. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, it's obvious that he felt like people who were not believing would be present with us in the meeting because he tells us how to respond to them. So he obviously had this idea that people would come to our gatherings who have not yet begun to follow Jesus, so we should be aware of that. 
I already quoted this verse, but Romans 1.16 says, the good news of Jesus is the power of God to save. So when you invite your friends and they come here uh, and, and they're a part of this meeting, they're going to hear the good news of how Jesus died for them and how they can have eternal life, how their lives can be transformed, how culture can be transformed, how they can overcome death. So invite your friends to come be with you at church. You, use even, listen, nothing wrong with using social media to that end. Here's a shout out to Eric Barbie, because I've noticed on Eric's Facebook, almost week after week, he writes a personal note to his friends saying, hey, if you don't have a church, come join me uh, in, in my church family as we gather on Sunday. So a shout out to, to Eric. On uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday's New Year's Eve, right? All right, on Tuesday, I was at the post office and I was uh, mailing some, some cards and I bought stamps. It was just me and the postal worker. And uh, she was very kind, and she volunteered to help me put the stamps on there. So, you know, there's a lot of stamps, so we're putting stamps on there. And I said, hey, what's your name? She tells me her name. And I said, where do you live? She tells me how she used to live in, in Surrey, and now she lives in Smithfield, and we get to talk. And I said, hey, have you connected to a church anywhere in Smithfield? And she said, yeah, I, I, um, I, uh, I, I go to a church in Smithfield. She told me the name of the church. And then she said, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I said, and I said her name, and I said, so you asked me that because I ask you if you go to church somewhere? She goes, yeah. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. I knew it. I knew it, she said. I want you to know that is not a unique thing for me. It's not. I talk to people, I talk to people about Jesus. I ask them if they go to church or I start talking about Jesus. It, it is, it's almost invariable, invariably that they're going to say to me, you're a pastor, aren't you? I tell you, that's sad. You, you get the sadness, don't you? Here's what that means. That most Americans are not accustomed to anybody who's just a follower of Jesus talking to them about church or spiritual things or anything like that. That if they don't know me, or if they don't, if they don't know you, they're going to think that, uh, that you're a pastor because you invite them to church or you talk to them about that kind of thing. Hey, that's what it seems to say to me, doesn't it? So as a strategic decision, what I'd like to ask you to do is, and I, I've, I've said this for myself, I'm going to try to invite people to come and visit with us on a Sunday. So I've been carrying in my pocket, I've been carrying little invite cards that I can give to people with our church addresses and times, and I've just been giving them out. I'm giving them out to just anybody I got a chance to talk to for a few minutes. I've just been inviting them to come with me to church. I, I really hope that in 2020, lots of people say to you, so are you a pastor? That's what I hope. Number six, look for ways to talk about Jesus in everyday life. And this is a strategic decision that I'm asking you to make. And, and what I'm asking you to do here is, is hear what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to just bring Jesus into your everyday conversations of life. Just bring, bring him in. Talk about him with your friends, especially your, your, your friends that are far from God, if you have any. Unfortunately, the longer we follow Jesus, the fewer friends we have that are far from God. That's an unfortunate. 
But if you have friends that are far from God, make sure you talk about Jesus. Talk openly. Tell them what you're reading from your Bible. <laughs> tell them, uh, tell them what, what's happening in your church, what you're learning uh, when you come and you gather on Sunday morning. Tell them what you're learning. Tell them the things that God has been convicting you of that you need to change. You know, if they've been involved and you've done something wrong and you've been convicted by that, confess that to them. Tell them, hey, you know, you remember the other day when I did this or I did that? Man, God really kind of convicted me that I, I was wrong. I really want to ask you to forgive me. In other words, bring him in there. When you're out to eat with your friends and nobody prays, and I know it's a little bit awkward, but you could say, hey, guys, would you mind if I just pray for us before we eat? You know, and if they say, yeah, we really mind, then, then don't. But if they say, no, you pray, and here's what you pray, you just thank God. Listen, do not preach in your prayers. You just thank God for them. Thank God for your friendship with him. Thank God for the food. I mean, express your love for God. Don't preach. Just, just thank God for them. Talk openly about your struggles with your friends who are not following Jesus. Talk with them about the struggles you have in following Jesus. In other words, you get what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say be real with your friends. Just make Jesus a part of your life so he's always there. And you know what that tells people? It says, man, this thing with Jimmy and Jesus, it's not his religion. It's not his rules that he's keeping. It's, it's about this friendship that he has with Jesus. I don't get it. It's kind of weird, but that's what it's about. I see it. And that, that's, that's the, that's the uh, strategic decision I'm asking you to make, is to find, make Jesus such a part of your life that you're bringing him up. And it takes some consciousness to, it takes some work on our consciousness to, to not forget Jesus because we can't see him, right? And so we tend to just go through our day and we, we just don't remember. So it takes some work trying to make ourselves conscious of his presence with us. And finally, the last strategic decision I'm asking you to consider making so that we change the world this year is um, grow in your ability to talk to people about their relationship with God. In other words, one thing for me to talk to people and I'm bringing God into, my, into what's going on in my life, it's another thing for me to say, hey, Michael Tuck, tell me about your relationship with God. In other words, it, it becomes a little bit harder when I'm being pointed and I'm really talking to someone about where they are with God. You agree with me, right? I mean, it's hard to talk about God, I think, in our, because we don't want to seem weird, we don't seem strange, we want to put, make people uncomfortable. But I tell you what, we can do this without making anybody uncomfortable, but this one probably is going to make people a little bit uncomfortable when, when we want to talk to them. And so here's my challenge. Grow in your ability to do that in such a way that you're comfortable with it. And, it. and it just flows for you to talk to people about their relationship with God. And we live in a culture that there's two things you don't talk about. What are they? Politics and God, right? And here I'm asking you to grow in your ability to actually talk about God to specific people that you know that are in your life. Grow in that ability. That's, 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 the, that's the strategic decision that I'm asking you. Now, there's two groups of people that this applies to. They're the group of people that I don't know, that I, maybe, maybe I'm on an airplane and I got an hour beside somebody, right? Somebody I don't know, probably never see them again. And, and you know what makes it awkward about that is that, you know, why would I talk about something so important as, as faith and death and all of that, you know, and, and something that's, you know, it's not so black and white. Uh, that makes that uncomfortable. But, but the other group of persons is even harder. You know why? Because they're the people that I'm in relationship with. They're the people that I love. They're the people that I have most to lose. Because if I talk to them about Jesus, what might they do? What might they do? They might reject me. Might, they might not, might not want to have anything to do with me anymore. And so we, we've got these two groups of people. 
But I really want to challenge us to strategically make a decision. I'm going to grow in my ability to really talk to both of these groups of people. So let me start with that first group of people over here and just ask this question. Do I have a responsibility to talk to them at all? And I'm going to give you a cop-out answer. My cop-out answer is you have to be led by the Spirit. You've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because circumstances are different, time, engagement level with people, that's all different. But, but listen to the Spirit, because I do believe that God wants us to engage some of those people. So, you know, find ways that you're comfortable, grow in your ability to engage people like this. And, you know, and you can engage them with just some uh, pretty innocuous questions, uh, you know, like, like I did with the lady... Um, at the post office, just, hey, are you connected to a church? You know, and if they are, what, what, what have you learned in your church? And uh, so there's just ways you can grow. You know, uh, I'm going to quote Joe Olson again in his own indomitable way. Uh, I've been with him when he's done this. When, when people say to Joe, I'm not necessarily recommending it, sorry, Joe, but it, it, it's good. It's good. But here's what Joe does. He goes, when somebody says, hey, how are you? Joe says, uh, he says, uh, well, I'm above the ground. And uh, he said, invariably, people say something about that, and they make a joke. And, uh, and then he says, but I'm ready for the other side, and if the good Lord called me, I know where I'm going. How about you? Sounds kind of can, but I tell you what, Joe Wilson can do it well. And, uh, and, and, you know, and people almost invariably say to him something like, you know, well, I'm not ready to die right now. And Joe says, and he says, I always take something that just recently happened right, like an airplane crash or whatever. He said, you know, a bunch of people got on an airplane the other day, and you remember on the news it crashed? You know, they weren't thinking that that was going to be the end of their life either. He said, so what if, what if your life came to an end today? Would you be ready? And, and then he says, I just listen. And if the conversation lends itself, then I'll tell them about Jesus. And if not, I won't. But my, my point is not recommending what Joe does, although if, that, if you like that, go for it. My point is grow yourself this year. Grow yourself this year in your ability to just talk to people that you don't know, that you're just meeting, that you might just have maybe 30 minutes or however much time you'll have with them, grow in that responsibility. Now to that other group of people, I think you have an obligation to them. I think you have an obligation to your coworkers. I think you have an obligation to your neighbors to, to try to speak to them about Jesus. Paul says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul basically felt like he was under obligation. And so I really want to, I want to urge you to see yourself as being under obligation to those people that you're in relationship with where you're at the wheel and you need to talk to them about Jesus, you know, not all the time, but you, but you need to see that as your responsibility and you need to drive the bus in that direction. And, and, and the, the key to that, here's what I want to ask you to try to grow yourself in, is grow yourself in, in, in asking open-ended conversational questions that'll just give you the opportunity to talk about Jesus. Here, I got some suggestions for you. Now, listen, I'm just going to read these just to kind of whet your appetite, just to get you thinking. I, don't write these down. I'm not suggesting these questions for you, but I will suggest that you probably need to think through for yourself. But here's some questions that, you know, friends that you have. So, so you're sitting around the table. What, what, do you think that our belief in God should affect our politics? You know? Boy, you're broaching both subjects there, right? <laughs> and, uh, and in what way? That's a good open-ending question. Uh, why do you think every culture on earth worships? Is that evidence for the creator? 
Here's, here's another one. Do you think it's strange that all children seem to have an innate sense of fairness? Is, that, is this a sign that God has put right or wrong in everyone's heart? hope you're following what I'm, I'm asking. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, what, what do you think would be the best way or worst way to die? Follow that up by what, what do you think happens when you die? If there is no God, is there truly right or wrong? Is the fact that we all seem to have a sense of right or wrong, is this evidence for God? These are some questions I've used in that first category of people, right? Maybe, maybe you don't even want to ask those kind of questions. Maybe you can just ask an open-ended question. Tell me about your own walk with God. I mean, do you believe in God? What have you come to know about God? Ask questions that are going to open the door for you to talk. And I am telling you here to be intentional to, to sharing Jesus. Okay, I'm done. So everyone, here's my concluding appeal. Let's make this year, 2020, a year where we adopt if my seven full strategic decisions aren't helping you, then find some of your own. But I am asking you to get behind the wheel of this task. Get behind the wheel of that, of that mission and recognize that I'm driving my own missional car. I got my own missional car and I'm driving it. But I'm driving it not because I'm a pastor. I'm driving it because I love Jesus and I follow Jesus. That's why I'm driving my car. And I was driving this car long before I became a pastor. And so you need to get, you're in your car and you need to drive your car. And, and so, y'all follow my metaphor? Am I beating it up too much? So here I'm just asking you, I'm gonna, we're going to bow in just a second. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, Lord, help me take the wheel. You know, as it Carrie Underwood says, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm asking you to take the wheel here in regard to this. And then I'd be amiss if I didn't ask you to follow Jesus today because some of you may be here and, and you're not even in the car with Jesus yet, you know? And I really want to invite you to receive the Lord Jesus today because you know what? He changes you, changes your life, changes your heart. He changes you and he'll change culture around here, around you. But I'm telling you what else he's going to do. He's going to give you eternal life with him forever and ever with all who have loved him in a kingdom that he's preparing even to this day. So I want to invite you to receive the Lord. So would you bow your heads and hearts with me for just a moment? And uh, hey, Janet, how about just, would you mind just play something that's in the background? Kind of helps us lose ourselves in our own thoughts, I think, when there's some music playing. So my goal was to preach shorter this morning. I did not succeed. But this is the most important time because this is where I think God wants you to do something with what I've been saying. If, if indeed his spirit has taken anything I've said and has touched your heart with it, this is your time to respond. And, and so I really want to invite you to, to just tell the Lord in this moment, just you and him, how, how God, what, what am I going to do in response to what I've heard? And now, yeah, I'm directing that mostly at you who follow Jesus already. So the 2020 is going to be a great year for our church family. We're going to see this baptismal pool. Uh, the waters are going to be filled with people who are far from God, and they're going to come to follow Jesus because we're going to believe it matters, and we're going to own its responsibility, and we're going to build bridges of love because the love of Jesus is flowing from us, and we're going to stop putting up these, these ridiculous judgmental barriers that, that somehow keep people from listening to us be, because of our attitudes and our words and the way we talk, and, and we're, going to, we're going to change that, 
We're going to learn to talk about Jesus, and we're going to learn to invite people to come worship with us, and we're going to learn to actually even speak deeply into their lives about their own relationship with Jesus. That's what's going to happen, and and we're going to see the world change this year. What do you need to do in response to this? And then, of course, if you're here this morning and, you know, just you're being honest and in your own heart, you're not following Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're, but you're, 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 you're intrigued, maybe, then uh, I would simply say, um, come and see. If that bothers you, I've heard some people say it bothers them, but that's not what Jesus told uh, Andrew and John, when they said, you know, Master, where, where are you going? He said, come and see. So I think it's all right for us to say, come and see. And you'll find Jesus everything he said that he was and is. You'll find him sufficient for every need in your life. And you'll see how he'll change you. So come to Jesus this morning. Or come to begin to follow him. Say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. God, thank you for the opportunity this morning um, to be reminded of how much it matters falling in love with you and following following you. Thank you for reminding us that uh, we are behind the wheel of this great stewardship. And I really want to pray for all of us, Lord, that uh, not that we would become, you know, the uh, Billy Graham evangelist of tomorrow, but that we would just grow, grow in in this responsibility a bit during 2020. And Father, would you just help us as we share Jesus and the good news of Jesus with others? Would you help us? Would, would you, by your spirit, draw men? Would you, we just pray for many people far from you to come to know you, that we can disciple and train and share and then and let them join us in this great mission. We thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.